Hello everyone, welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast. It is another wonderful episode of uh, of Wonderful Podcast. I use the word wonderful far too many times in daily speech. And I, I apologise to everyone for that. But hello again for another episode. It is episode 80 today. I mistakenly said it was episode 80 last week. It wasn't. It is episode 80 this week. It's a Janine week. So Janine's back on the main show. Hey, Janine. Hey, Morgan. Yay, it's a Janine week. I like that. You like Janine? Well, the Janine week works because that's the week you're on all three shows. Yes, very special. So it, we call it Janine week and it happens every other week. I like that very much. S- somehow I feel like Janine week should really be a thing that happens like once a year, you know, like a special <laughs> holiday week. Well, now you're just making it not sound very special. No, but it happens every other week here, which is even better. (laughs) Because it's more Janine. Nice save, Morgan. Nice save there. Thank you. I I apologize. My mind is not working. You knew what I was trying to say. No, you didn't. Nobody did. Sure, sure. (laughs) What do we do? On this show, we talk about wonderful older movies. And I use wonderful again for a reason, because they're all wonderful. Well, they're not all wonderful, but all the ones we talk <laughs> about on this show mainly are wonderful. Um, today, Janine, Janine, what are we talking about today on the main show? Well, as we're just slowly creeping out of spooky season, official spooky season, yes. I thought I'd still keep it a little thrilling with uh, Cape Fear from 1962. Cape Fear. Not necessarily the uh, Scorsese De Niro version of Cape Fear. However, of course, with Janine being on, we will be treated to uh, a deja vu uh, talking about... Scorsese's version of Cape Fear, but no, this one is about the 1962 version of Cape uh, Fear, starring the all wonder, all ridiculous descriptions of handsomeness and you know presence of of, of screen is Gregory Peck. Yeah, because Gregory Peck <laughs> is exceptional. Gregory Peck is one of my favourite all-time actors because, he, and he's kind of different, a little bit different to my usual sort of type of favourite actor, because I feel like Gregory Peck is equal parts the sternest person ever, but also has like this little fun edge to him. And I feel like he has that throughout his career. But like, I feel like most people see the more stern version. That's kind of most the well the thing is I would think. The strange thing is is that most people 
Well, it's not strange because it's perfectly justified. But the th- most people look at Gregory Peck and see his other big role from 1962, which was in To Kill a Mockingbird as Atticus Finch. What he what he won an Oscar for that role. You know, everybody sees him in the court being all stern and furrowing his brow. And I feel like... Intense. (laughs) All you have to do to do a good Gregory Peck impression is deepen your voice quite a lot. Have a little bit of a weird mix of the the fake transatlantic accent and and an actual sort of southern American accent. And then just just be really sort of furrowed with your brow and take weird pauses in the middle of, of sentences and then really ramp it up like this, some words, and then bring it back down. And that's all you need to do to do a good Gregory Peck impression. Thank you for that tutorial, Morgan. I appreciate that. I'm not going to do a, a proper Gregory Peck impression because I would be unable to in my current state. Um, <laughs> but I feel like that's what he does. He either does that or he's like Roman Holiday Gregory Peck where he's just like, he's doing the same kind of thing. You know, he's still speaking the same way, but everything's done with a smile and a wink. Yes. He's playing it straight, but still very, like, charming and yeah, smiles a little bit more. (laughs) Or, of course, then you get arguably my favourite performance and probably my favourite Gregory Peck movie, just because it's me, The Omen. Oh. Where he's very serious all the time, obviously. (laughs) Well, yeah. He's also diff- playing different in that because he's trying to figure stuff out and he's a little bit worried all the time. And very different to Atticus Finch, who has it all put together. Very different to uh, whatever he's called in Roman Holiday, who just wants to have a bit of fun with the princess. I think that's why, like, subconsciously forever before I saw that movie, I always thought it was, like, Cary Grant or something because I, yeah, you know, just in the back of my head, I felt like, oh, this movie has, you know, Audrey Hepburn being silly with, like, some, you know, charming, silly, romantic actor. And so in just the the back of my head, I always just, like put Cary Grant there and then when we watch it I'm like that was Gregory Peck what he's always so serious <laughs> Gregory Peck Gregory Peck is low key silly he might not want you to think that he's silly but Gregory Peck knows full well that he that he's a little bit yes, silly it was very refreshing watching that movie and seeing him be like very charming like that and not so I mean, I guess, <laughs> I guess that was that was more so the earlier part of his career where he was more of a real serious romantic lead because I mean the man was exceptionally handsome uh, yes. in his in his earlier <laughs> days. Ah, uh, yeah, <laughs> gorgeous. Um, <laughs> so he he obviously played that kind of thing, but maybe 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 I don't know. Maybe he looks at Cary Grant. Um, Cary Grant's looking like, well, Cary Grant never 
fully went silly enough to win himself an Oscar, but Gregory Peck did. <laughs> that is true. But also, Cary Grant was far sillier than Gregory Peck ever was. So, there is that comparison. But, he is in this movie. He is only one part, of course, of Cape uh, Fear. He plays Sam Bowden, the, uh, the lawyer who puts Max Cady in prison all those years ago. And now Max Cady is back out and hunting, well not hunting, but sort of weirdly stalking, stalking and then being yeah. creepy. Um, Sam's, uh, Sam's family. Max Cady, uh, the, the De Niro role for most people, probably familiar, is in this movie, played by Robert Mitchum. I, and we'll get, I know we'll get onto this when we compare, <laughs> weirdly actually really, really like Mitchum compared to De Niro. Yeah, I mean, he kind of had some work to do because in this time of this movie, like, he couldn't really straight out say certain things. No. So he had to kind of, like, evoke that creepy vibe and those creepy acts that he was describing like dance around terms like rape and things like that so he had to yeah. kind of sell how sinister he was without like you know without outright any, saying it yeah yeah and breaking any like moral rules of cinema at the time so. Yeah, because of of course the 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 Hayes Code was still just about in effect um, in the early sixties. So you know there was rules that you had to go by. It's why I, we've brought it up many times, but that's why you'll hear profanity and have like nudity and excessive violence in movies from like the early thirties. But then as soon as the mid thirties hit. For the next 35 years, roughly, there's nothing like that until yeah. you hit, you know, the late 60s again. And it was a, it's as though everybody all of a sudden in the world starts swearing as opposed <laughs> to what, you know, in the 40s and the 50s. Nobody did. Nobody did yeah. such things. Um, it's fun to look at it like that. But, yeah. With a with a story like Cape Fear, why don't you tell people? I know I've, I've it's basically it is. I suppose it is basically. Yeah. You don't need to know a great deal more other than an a uh, a released ex convict is goes after the lawyer and his family for revenge yeah. for him having been put away for so long. Yeah. That's pretty much it. That's 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 what happens in this movie. It just happens to be very very sinister yes. and max cady like robert mitchum in 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 this version of the movie is very intimidating to me it's like weirdly more so like i said weirdly more so than de niro and i know i'm just gonna keep comparing throughout this movie because I feel like it's very easy to actually compare these two movies because they are so different versions of the same movie. 
Um, but with De Niro, and I feel like more people are familiar with De Niro in Cape Fear anyway. Um, but with De Niro, he's very sort of brash and loud and sort of overly violent. And, and I mean, I don't feel like he could blend into a crowd as well no. as Robert Mitchum could. Robert Mitchum could just be in his little Hawaiian shirt and his little hat and like look yeah. like a perfectly innocent guy. Um, but De Niro was like obviously not a, a little good bit guy. unhinged. <laughs> yes, and you could just see that by looking at him in a crowd. So I mean, I feel like Robert Mitchum was able to kind of play look the part of somebody who could blend in with everyone else but then play that sinister kind of creepy revenge vibe that he needed to be so Uh, that comes out and yeah and that comes out in his voice and his eyes and Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff that is it's all in that where you know De Niro's very much about his actions and big sort of yeah, expressive actions. And shouting counselor. <laughs> yeah, the accents as well. The, the that accent because this is set in what somewhere like I don't know Virginia, maybe some southern place ish. Mm, yeah, maybe Carolinas. Yeah, I think I don't exactly know something like that. It's around there. Yeah. Um, so people have a little bit of a of an accent. Gregory Peck, obviously, you know, does his pretty well. Um, he must have just been speaking in a in that accent for the entirety of nineteen sixty two. Um, but I guess I guess he had to move from an Alabama version to a wherever this was version. So I guess it's a little bit different. But then Mitchum. Mitchum's really kind of, again, I'm going to compare it to De Niro because sometimes De Niro's accent felt a little over the top. Yeah, like, you know, they have that kind of draw, but he was like pulling it really like long with some of his like expressions. But Mitchum's, Mitchum's was like, it seemed nailed on it was just very sinister southern, enough yeah it was it sounded very natural and i don't know it i don't know where robert mitchum was born um maybe he is maybe he is from the southern states um but it seemed very natural and the thing i i actually really enjoyed about robert mitchum in this movie was that he was able to convey so much with very very little action um and like you said as well the actual content of what he's doing because he is uh, he you know he was put in max Cady was put in prison originally for rape and battery um so he you know and now he's out and he is after the family of Gregory yes. Peck. And he essentially, we all know, we're all well aware that that's what he's planning to do to Gregory Peck's family. Is that ever said? No. But no. It, it doesn't have to be because we get it 
we we just we get it from what's happening we get it from what's going on we get it from the little descriptions that are given that clearly the writers have you know worked um a lot on just sort of making sure that because it's adapted from a book obviously the, the executioners um and a book you know books obviously can say whatever they want um but you know you have up to, to you have, him to yeah to portray that yeah. and convey that and like exactly. i like that they kind of give you a taste of his character right off the bat like he's walking into the courthouse and he bumps into some lady and knocks over her books and like he doesn't even help her he just like looks back like whatever and keeps walking and just with that you already kind of see he's like a kind of on a mission just to focus on what he needs to focus on which is find Bowden but also that he's just kind of an asshole <laughs> yeah he's a very single look he's a very single-minded person yeah he has literally got only one thing on his mind for the whole movie, and that is just pure revenge on, on Sam Bowden's family, Gregory Peck's. Um, what I was what I was trying to say and completely failing to say, and I'll probably <laughs> fail to say again because for some reason I'm struggling to speak today. Um, no, I've com- I've, I am. I'm just struggling to speak today. I can't even form what I was trying to say. Just that because he couldn't, because you can't like say outright what's happening like you could in the 91 Scorsese version, you know, you could just come out and say, this is what Katie's doing, this yeah. is what he's in for, this is what he's going to do now. The fact that you still get that watching the 62 version is credit to is yeah it's credit to the writers of whoever wrote you know the 62 version because it's always difficult you know like for example right now with me saying i'm not saying anything outright so it's got to be pretty difficult to understand what i'm even trying to say and i just hope (laughs) sometimes to actually just convey that didn't manage to do it just then, but sometimes I I hope. Good, it was a good effort. It was a very good effort. It's never a good effort. <laughs> but yes, um, I think that's just a testament to the performances, and um, I think that kind of maybe makes it more impressive than the Scorsese version, just because they had that limitation and they were still able to convey these kind of darker tones and issues that they couldn't outright really say. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's going to be a lot of this episode, obviously, is just comparing it to that one. It's almost like an extended <laughs> Because I don't really think view. anyone knows about the, this one, really. I mean, I that's why I chose it, because I knew the other one, you know, Just like everyone else did. And when I kind of saw that there was an earlier one, I was like, okay. And Gregory Peck's in it. And it just seemed very interesting to see what was changed, what was different. And especially with the difference in when it was made, like, were they, how were they going to 
portray some of these issues that come up in the 91 version that I knew, how were they going to work with those in an earlier take with these limitations? So that's kind of why I chose this because I was curious to see how they were going to do that. I know it may it may come off as me just being me, but I I I almost prefer the sixty two version, and that's weird because you got to think about it. This is a Scorsese, you know, the ninety one is a Scorsese De Niro movie. Um, you know, with Scorsese's full usual team behind it. Well, that's not weird for you. I mean, <laughs> it is weird for me because I'm a you big Scorsese are... fan. But you also, I think your love of classic film trumps your love for Scorsese. Yes, it, look, it probably <laughs> does. You always but, prefer the classic older version to anything new, I think. I don't know that there was a time that you ever preferred wholly the newer version of something as opposed to the classic version. I I think you could always find elements that you see were the, done better in a newer version, but I don't think I have ever heard of you liking a newer version of something more than the classic version. <laughs> it's a style thing. It's a style thing. It's a what I find in this in this 62 version is a simplicity that you that is just not there in Scorsese's version. The 62 version feels it's much better paced, for one. It's much better paced. I think it's better acted all round, even though there is more stuff for people to do in the 91 version. Like, Jessica Lang plays, you know, Nick Nolte's wife, right? Yeah. In, in, um, in Scorsese's version. In the 62 version, Gregory Peck's wife is... Polly Bergen. Now, Polly Bergen doesn't really do anything in the movie. She's just kind of a, a bit scared sometimes when Max is calling her on the phone. And apart from that, she doesn't really have a great deal of story point. She's just, you know, Gregory Peck's wife at that. And I, so I preferred like Jessica Lang. Having stuff to do and, yeah. Having, you know, being, seeming like an actual character. There's also more. But having said that, having said that, I actually prefer the family in the Gregory Peck's version. Because, now I don't know what the book was like, but in the 62 version, it seemed, it was, well, it was very clear to me that, you know, there was a lot of difference. There were stark opposites between Max, Cady and Sam Bowden. Yes. Complete opposite people. Na and, you know, and you look at them and you think, Gregory Peck, yeah, Gregory Peck, upstanding family man, as he always is. Um, You know, he wants to work inside the law. I'm going to do everything right and good by the world. And I'm Gregory Peck. And I talk <laughs> like this. And I am the one to move things forward. And that's what he does. And Robert Mitchum's kind of, while he's not as kind of weirdly anarchical, or anarchic, how do you say that word? 
How do you say something with anarchy? Anarchical? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's anarchy. I think it's that. Um, <laughs> as De Niro. <laughs> I guess. I guess. <laughs> but that's what I that's what I mean when I'm talking about like De Niro's version. De Niro's version is kind of over he's the just, top. He's just a madman. He's and, just a madman. Richemism. With, with Nolte's Bowden, they already kind of pepper in that he's not a hundred percent like a good guy. Exactly. Or like somebody who's not afraid to operate outside the law. Like when Katie's men or when Katie's getting attacked by the three men that are hired by Bowden. He's there like watching, you know, and I don't, they didn't really have that in the 62 version. And, you know, they have this kind of potential affair possibly happening yeah. in that and allude to that. He had an affair in the past and they throw in another element that he tampered with evidence to get Katie to be locked up longer than he should have been. So that's what motivates the revenge. Whereas the 62 Bowden, you know, he's pretty upstanding. Yes. He had something to do with hiring the three men, but it was kind of like at his breaking point. And even then he was like, you know, ready to take the consequences of that. And yeah. So I feel like, yes, like you're saying, I do kind of agree that the family, here and the Bowden in 62 is all more kind of a clear distinction of kind of like good and evil portrayals whereas this one the 91 version it's very muddled because Nolte's not you know pristine himself he kind of has his major flaws and and then Katie's just kind of even more extreme yeah and obviously that's you know that's a complete stylistic change. That's a, a complete change in the, in the way you want to tell that particular story is with the sort of greyer characters of Scorsese's version or the real serious sort of stark contrast good and bad guy of, of the, the 62 version. But having said that, I think De Niro's Katie is way worse than Mitchum's because De Niro's Katie like turns like bites people. Oh yeah, like he bit her piece of her face off, broke her arm, like the girl I mean, that he attacks. Yeah, I get that might have hap- that might have happened in the book. Sure, okay, I don't know. We you know we're not necessarily talking about the book here, um, but and obviously you know. Mitchum's Katie couldn't have got away with doing something like that anyway. Yeah. Um, but you still get a, a a lot of intimidation from Robert Mitchum. And maybe that's just Robert Mitchum's way of being. Maybe that's yes. just how he's shot in this movie. He's, he always seems in power, even in his scenes with... He causes Gregory Peck to snap at one point. That's something nobody does. Yes. Gregory Peck snaps. <laughs> the only other person I've seen Gregory Peck snap at is an eight-year-old child <laughs> who happened to be the Antichrist. <laughs> yes, I think um, he does kind of 
he's able to kind of blend in more, like I said. So when he does kind of have that turn of being very stocky and, you know, messing with people and then he can kind of like think, act like he didn't do anything wrong. It's kind of more believable. Yeah. What it is, is great casting. I think yes. on those two leads in the six, in this 62 version, because like you said, even though Mitchum's able to, to, to blend in a lot better than, than De Niro is, um, you, you can always, t- he's always wearing the same Panama hat. <laughs> um, so you can always tell he's there. He's always got a yeah. massive cigar. So you can always, you know, you can always tell he's there. But and he plays it so smart to where he can, it's it's believable that he could get away with things because he's very calculated Mitch- and smart. Um, so That's is the, the Max Katie in Scorsese's, but it's like the things he does is like how how like i don't i can't really understand how he gets away with the things he's doing yeah whereas this yeah. one i can believe how he can kind of sneak around and do these things and no one's the wiser or nobody can prove what he's done but with um the scorsese one it's kind of like how did he get away with that like how did nobody see him he's obviously like a creepy guy with all these tattoos and like <laughs> being loud and obnoxious and like just his introduction kind of in the theater, like when he first, you know, sees, um, Bowden for the first time again, and he's just laughing in loud the in the theater. In the, in the, in in the, the, in the 91. Yeah. Smoking a cigar in the theater, like just seeing that type of personality. How are you not gonna have a questionable vibe about them? Whereas with the 62 version, like you can, he can, like mess with you right to your face and then kind of walk away and nobody would believe that he really said those things to you to get you that upset, you know? There's yeah. I think it's strange. Um I I much I much prefer um just you know the first time you sort of hear Max Cady speaking or doing saying whatever is when he's talking to Bowden in the car, when he's yeah. sort of stolen the keys. And the keys out. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just kind of playing with him a little bit, just reminding him, yeah, I'm Max Cady, you did this to me. Um, I'm going to come for you, but he doesn't outright say he's going to come no. for you. I feel, I feel like De Niro more outright says, I'm going to come for you. Exactly. Then, uh, like, Wait, what did you say? What did you say? Yeah. <laughs> then Mitchum does. Mitchum just leaves you with. It's the different, and again, it's a complete stylistic difference. But with, and I know this is basically just a comparison episode at this point. But I kind of yes. like that. We we don't <laughs> yeah, do the this. The whole thing is a deja vu. So I. The whole thing that. is a deja vu. <laughs> um. In, with De Niro. I feel like there's more to, you know, like when people are intimidating, there's that level where like you go from being not intimidated at all to slightly intimidating to to like pretty intimidating to laughable. Yeah. And laughable is the top. De Niro's itching into that laughable sort of like, I'm not taking you seriously, De Niro. You're being too intense too extreme yeah and 
too extreme and you're going into that top laughable tier where it's just like, look, I, I know you're doing crazy things right now, but I'm not that scared of you because you're just being excessive about it. Yeah, that's why I like Mitchum, Mitchum. was kind of smooth about it, very he's calculated low key about, about it. He's lo- yeah. Yes. He's yes. very low key about it. He's like you said, he's very calculated about it. He's very quietly intense, which and I think that's, works a hell of a lot better. Yes, it's way more unnerving, I think. Um, and he, you know, when he does the stuff he does to um, to that one girl he meets in in the bar, who in Scorsese's version also has this sort of odd infatuation with Nick Nolte. With Nick Nolte's, yeah. Um, that's you know that particular relationship isn't present in the 62 version um this is just you know a girl in a a bar um but when he does what he does in the 62 version it feels more sinister yeah it it just feels more it feels like he's taking advantage of her more than it feels like De Niro's Katie is taking advantage of her in that movie. Yeah, and in that in that movie, like I feel like there was more talking between um, that woman and De Niro, whereas this one, like he, you know, Mitchum doesn't have to say anything. He just kind of creeps up on her, like starts like you know messing with his fists, and just walks up to her and kind of corners her and like she just already feels terrified and tries to run like no words needed. Like really not that much dialogue in that scene. Just him and his presence is enough to like freak her out. And she tries to run and she can't get away. And I feel like that is more effective and unnerving than like blatant kind of discussion and talk in the Scorsese version. I know I brought this up as well. But and this is just something I view Robert Mitchum as, and that's what I. That's why I think it's just fantastic ca- casting, is that Robert Mitchum is the prime example of out of shape, in shape person from the old time. <laughs> the old timey manly man body type. Yeah, <laughs> because he has the world's biggest chest, no arm muscles to speak of. <laughs> He's not an athletic person, but he could kill you with his bare hands. Yeah. <laughs> Which is exactly what the vibe you get from Robert Mitchum. Yes. Especially works. in that particular, very difficult to watch scene. Because there's, yeah. let's, you know, let's not kid ourselves. This is a, a rough movie. Yeah. It's a nasty movie. Um, It's a hard movie. It's a, full you know drama thriller movie and they do a lot of camera things that like make you feel kind of trapped like they show people kind of looking at each other through objects yeah at some very weird interesting angles so you kind of feel contained and i liked things like that and i know the director he tried to kind of mimic Hitchcock as much as he could, as Hitchcock was kind of the original choice to direct this movie, I believe. I mean, he did a good job in mimicking Hitchcock by 
getting the uh, composer because the uh, composer, uh, Bernard Herman, uh, and I say Bernard, yes, I know, I'm British, <laughs> that's how it's pronounced. Bernard Herman composes the score to this movie. And it's very Bernard Herman. Yes. And they it, do use this score in the 91 version. They do. Exactly. They yeah, sort of. The re- re- was it, wasn't it like Elmer Bernstein who readapted it? I think so. Um, for, for, for Scorsese's. For Scorsese's and version. then, of course, you hear it in many other places. Like, I've heard this in... I think they played in Simpsons with the whole Sideshow Bob yeah, storyline. Yeah, that's... Yeah. And <laughs> I think in Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle, they introduced <laughs> Justin Thoreau's tattooed, imprisoned character to this music as well. It's good music. It's really, really good music. And um, what do you expect from Bernard Herrmann? But it's so noticeably. Sinister, it yes. is so noticeably Bernard Herrmann as well. With the sort of big horns that you yeah. get sometimes. And then the sort of little bit of a screechy the, string. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's really good. It reminds you so much of your of psycho score and vertigo yeah. score and stuff like that. Um. You 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 you're in you instantly when you hear Herman's music you instantly kind of ooh something's going on oh yeah. dear every time every time you hear his music you are put a little bit more on edge which is you know when it whenever it comes in in the movie it just works so well it works yes. as a score it works perfectly as a score should work. And like you said, it, with the shots of, you know, people feeling, tra- feeling trapped and that, yeah. you do feel trapped. It's and a, this is very harsh and sinister. And it's a harsh movie. It sets movie. the tone. It sets the tone so well. It's a harsh movie because it's, a, it's also a simple movie. It's, it's not what I felt as well about the Scorsese version is that it, it was kind of like almost as though... Scott says he's gone, okay, I've just made Goodfellas the year before. That was a nice, smooth movie. Um, everything sort of flowed really well. That's one of my favourite things about Goodfellas is that it's such a smooth movie throughout. Yeah. Um, you know, everything was a bit flashy and a bit sort of uh, stylized. But then in Cape Fear, like a year later, he's gone, right, everyone... We're going to make the weirdest, most experimental movie we've done since <laughs> Last Temptation of Christ. In which we're just going to show weird neon sometimes. Yeah, and, and then, then it's like black and white and then it fades back into colour just yeah. for that one scene. And negative shots. Negative. They have negative yeah. shots. You know, like when it's... I, I know probably everybody knows what negative means, but when it's like sort of weirdly glowing white and sort of like a dark, the, the negative of the of the film, you know what negative? Everybody yeah. knows what negative is. Yeah. But it has that in it sometimes weirdly, and like what I what I also found strange about it was that even though obviously it's Thelma Schoonmaker who edits it, and she's a, such a great editor, and like I said, she edited. The very, very smooth Goodfellas. And most of Scorsese's movies, which sort of flow really well, 
There was a yeah. weird structure to Cape Fear, 1991. Yeah. It yeah, was it it, it wasn't choppy, but it was rough. It was yeah. like and okay, we're going compare. there, we're going there, we're going there, we're going there, we're going there. Some scenes had last like six minutes, and some scenes had last like twenty seconds. <laughs> Right. Yeah, and then kind of watching it after the 62 version that's pretty well paced. Just yeah. that kind of comparison is very jarring and noticeable, I think. Because you know the beats, even though that there are additions and things, like you kind of know the beats and how they're going to come. So when you see the newer version in comparison, the pacing's kind of weird. and Yeah. yeah. Which is, again, why I kind of do prefer the the 62 version and maybe it's just my simple mind uh, liking <laughs> this stark contrast between good Gregory Peck evil Robert Mitchum <laughs> and the sort of just nice grey nice Nick Nolte and crazy to the extreme <laughs> not that there's, uh, look, Robert not that there's anything I, I, I happened to Nick Nolte was arguably my favourite part of that movie, of the 91 version. I thought Nick Nolte was great. Yeah. I thought he was such a great, for his version of Sam Bolden, it's perfect. Yeah. For that version, he, he was he completely, completely nailed it. Um, And I've nothing, you know, I like he, he was, he was my favourite part, and I've nothing wrong with him being... This greyer character would have been yeah. kind of interesting to see Gregory Peck like that. I know, but I mean, really know, interesting he has to, to see Greg. But you, you couldn't do that to Gregory Peck. <laughs> have him have this like almost affair with somebody and tamper with evidence. And, you couldn't yeah, have done that. I couldn't to... see that for. <laughs> this this is another reason why I love older movies. Is that you know people were like. If if they were an, this and this is also why I obviously refer to it everybody all the time just by their actor's name and not their actual <laughs> character's name, um, because I I you know I'm in the mindset of old Hollywood where an actor means way more than a character. So you know, to do, you you can't have Gregory Peck not being wholesome, so you will have Gregory Peck being wholesome. And that's just what happens. Yes. You know? You, and even up to the ending of this film, which I believe is different from the ending in the book, both of them um, end kind of, end differently than the book. Um, yeah, I think the main... Still just of, kind of holding up in the 62, he's still kind of holding up that moral justice yeah. kind of code of honor that he has. I think the main the main sort of... Well, in the book, I believe it ends in the same general way that Scorsese's version ends, right? With essentially Sam Bolden killing Max. But it's not a purposeful thing. But it's... Right. Like, Katie ends up kind of dying because in the book, I believe... Um, Bowden kind of shoots a bunch of bullets, and one of them okay. ends up ends up hitting Katie. Okay. Without him realizing it, and then then Katie dies. So it's like I don't even I don't even know if he was aiming at Katie. I think he was just shooting, and one of the stray bullets 
hit Katie. Yeah, because, I mean, we've, what we, we've not talked about as well is that there's a lot of paranoia in this movie. There's a lot of paranoia in this movie. There's a lot of anxiety in this movie. Oh, yeah. Everybody's but... worried all <laughs> the time. Rightly so, because I wouldn't want creepy-ass Robert Mitchum staring in at my window, <laughs> joining me at the bowling alley, or uh, which I happen... I love that scene, and that's right at the start. That bowling oh, alley yeah. scene where he's just mm-hmm. bowling. Gregory Peck's bowling, nice with his family. And he's and then, there. Here comes, here comes Robert Mitchum, skulking around. Nice family you got there, councilman. He's just like that's all he has to say. Yeah. And Gregory Peck's just like, what? What are you doing here? And this <laughs> is away. after this Go is after away. the car. After he takes his keys and kind of addresses yeah. him, right? What are you doing here, Katie? <laughs> I'm just going to spend the whole day trying to do a Gregory <laughs> Peck impression now. God damn it. <laughs> All I can do when I do a Gregory Peck impression is the the thing from To Kill a Mockingbird. In the name of God, do your duty. <laughs> Very impressive. Because I love how he says the word God. <laughs> So intense. I'm sorry. I feel like Gregory Peck is right here. On our Don't podcast. be ridiculous. If I was Gregory Peck, in my older age, I would have a weird jet black mustache to really clash <laughs> and really with my black gray eyebrows. Hair. Yeah, so Gregory Peck does appear, and Robert Mitchum in the 91 version of Cape Fear. And Martin Balsam, who is also yes. in the. The 62 version, who yes. um, was in 12 Angry Men. He was Detective Arbogast in Psycho. Everybody knows Martin Balsam's face, even if you don't know his name. But he was also in the 91. They brought everyone back. Essentially, yes. They brought everyone back. Mitchum. Mitchum actually had a little bit to do. More to do, I think. In, in Scorsese's <laughs> version. Mitchum looked, he looked decent. <laughs> He looked decent for his, for his age at that point. You could still tell it was Robert Mitchum. The only way Peck, you could though. the only way you could tell it was Gregory Peck was his voice. When he started talking and he like was very exclamative in the courtroom, very excited to like give his little <laughs> his little monologue. It was so cute. <laughs> Old little Gregory Peck was like giving his little intense. <laughs> You've oh, made a very it. noble decision, Judge. Like, whatever he was saying. Like, he was so cute. I he do was, like, love so Gregory happy Peck. to do his little monologue in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> and Martin Balsam was the judge, and he was just there. Like, uh, yeah. He, he was, yeah, he was just there. He was just like, oh, we might as well get Martin back as well. Yeah. What's he doing what now? He doing? Probably He's nothing. He's old enough to be some old, stodgy judge. Yeah, I think yeah. that works. <laughs> Gregory, so, yeah. I don't know what happened. Gregory Peck, I'm afraid you will not be going into the Mustache Hall of Fame, even though, well, technically he couldn't because that would that was in the 91 that version. 91 version, the, yeah, no. Not so the 62 count. version. Does not count. Um, so it, so it doesn't count. But he wouldn't be going in anyway because it's a weird mustache, Gregory. It's a weird mustache. <laughs> 
We still love you, though, Gregory Peck. We do. We do. We, we adore Gregory Peck with all fibers of our being. Yes. Um, but like you said, though, there is a lot of paranoia. Um, like the scene with the daughter when he's just kind of walking up to the car and she doesn't know what to do. And so she kind of goes running off and she knows it's him. Yeah. And she kind of runs around the school and he's like not doing anything. He's just kind of slowly walking up to the car and she just her paranoia gets her so freaked out that she goes and runs and hides and she thinks it's him following her. But it's just like somebody who works at the school. And then she's just so paranoid and running around that then when she finally runs out thinking that she's ran away from him, she runs into him. So yeah. I think that whole build up and then she ends up like running into the street. And... You know, so that you, whole you are... build of fear just from him walking up to the car was kind of a brilliant choice, I think. You feel you feel just as terrified as them. Yeah. When whenever Katie's around at the day at the beach yes. uh, the beach front where Gregory Peck actually snaps a little bit because yeah it's sort of the most direct that KD has been up to that point in in terms of his intentions of what he's yeah. going to do when he's and, watching the daughter and he just kind of says oh yeah she's looking as good as her mother and then like yeah. that's kind of as most they can kind of say about yeah what his intentions are and look um, obviously we get it from that point and obviously it's a very sort of tough subject yeah it's 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 a it's a terrible it, it's not like to be made light of at all it's a that's what we were saying before it's a hard movie it's a rough movie and scorsese's so, version kind of is very direct about all of that it's very direct but like i said before it there's that scale of sort of intensity that just if it gets too high it goes to like i don't believe this anymore yeah i Which never I, didn't, I was never really a fan of the whole like her kind of being infatuated the daughter being infatuated with katie like no that whole not a, situation no. was just that seems felt so wrong and yes and her seems... kind of going against her parents because she was so kind of infatuated with him i, yeah. I just that just felt very wrong. So when I didn't see that in the 62, I was like, okay, uh, this is kind of, this feels more right than what, like I, why? I, so then I was kind of looked back and then I'm like, why did they feel like they needed to yeah, have I her be all infatuated with Katie and him kind of coming at her at the school like that? Like all of that was that just, was a ugh. That was a long <laughs> scene as well. That yeah. was a long, drawn-out scene of just uncomfortable uncomfortableness yes. in that yes. in that Scorsese version. No, it was it came off as as pretty problematic. So I would have taken that Sadly. scene, the scene. So in kind of comparing her, just seeing him walk up and having that fear, that kind of irrational fear. Because yes, he's a terrible person, but he's not really. If you think about it, he's not really doing anything. And just that build up of fear, I will take that over the auditorium theater. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was a big, it was a big, overly elaborate sort of set piece as well. Yeah, it didn't need to be that. And then him I calling don't... her on her private line and talking to her, pretending to be her teacher, and all of that was like, yeah, <sighs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I actually, I actually really like the the daughter in the '62 version. Yeah, she doesn't like. I said she doesn't have 
as much to do as uh, is it Juliette Lewis in ninety one in ninety one mm-hmm. um because obviously it's a bit you know Scorsese is a bit of a longer movie yeah and so like she we kind said of before, she does there's a the... little more character stuff yeah so she does the opening narration and the closing narration uh, to yeah that. yeah yeah. I I didn't care for that really. With I didn't the negative, see... the negative yeah. thing comes so back. It's just, just strange things that were going <laughs> yeah. on. Um, but no, I I I really liked the daughter. I forget the actor's name. I really liked the daughter in the um, in the sixty two version because she did, you know, she again maybe it's just enjoying me enjoying the simplicity of the way that the story was told in that movie, but she was just wholly innocent and just kind of... She's the daughter that you need to protect. Yeah. And she played that really well. And whenever Katie, whenever, you know, Mitchum came anywhere close to her, you were snapping like Gregory Peck. Yeah. And even when he's kind of talking to the wife, like explaining kind of all his plan if he does something to the daughter they know he knows that like they would never have her testify and talk about all the things that he did to her so they would never put her through that so if he were to do something to the daughter there's no way he could get he would completely get away with it because they know that he knows that they would never put her through being on a stand and talking about everything that was done to her. So I, I, you know, that was something I didn't even think about. Like that's how calculated he was and how deep he was thinking about it. He's like, yeah, I can totally get back at him by doing something to the daughter and they'll never come after me for it because they would never put their daughter through having to say all that on a stand. So So that was just very calculated and just crazy that, that way of thinking and i liked that that's the whole thought process that came in in that movie whereas this one it was just kind of like they didn't i don't think they executed that whole aspect of it well like he was not he was kind of supposed to be very smart and manipulative in that way but he was just too obvious about everything he was doing and too abrasive and brash about everything he was doing that it didn't feel very like smooth and calculated, like, you know, unnerving. Like I've been saying, like the Mitchum version was much more unnerving because he kind of just skulked in the shadows and came out when he needed to come out. Whereas um, the De Niro version was just very brash and in your face and doing crazy things. And you saw, and he talked about everything he was doing and it was, it wasn't as smooth and kind of like, easy with how they were giving it to you i think what it comes down to is the fact that mitchum's katie actually feels like a potential real human being yeah um which is terrifying because like we've said this is a very real movie this sort of stuff has happened this sort of nasty stuff does happen yeah um that's why it's a rough movie to watch it's not a it's not a safe easy fun watching old Gregory Peck movie go and watch Roman Holiday if you want that or go and watch The Omen because that's super fun as well all being all satanic and such (laughs) you sound very Um, happy about Satanism Morgan (laughs) yeah I'm really into yeah I'm really into you know Satanism and that sort of stuff but you know 
this sort of evil is different. Real life evil is a little bit different. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't an easy movie to watch, but it was very, it was a very good movie. I really enjoyed the movie. Yes. Um, and like I said, the casting was just perfect, and I thought Mitchum was excellent because I was terrified of him. But I was terrified in... of him. I'm not a. I'm not a ten-year-old. I'm not a. You know, a fifteen-year-old girl, which is his main goal in this movie. Yeah. But I'm terrified of Robert. I was terrified of Robert Mitchum in this movie. And to kind of look at him just to start, like you, you he doesn't seem like a scary person. No. So just yeah. So just the way and I'm sure he, he was a lovely it. person in real life. This is not Robert Mitchum, because just because I'm using the actor's name all the time does not mean that I believe Robert Mitchum was an evil human yes. being. But for one second, De Niro's Katie, I could never just look right at him and think, oh, that's a that's an okay person. But with Mitchum, no. before he opens his mouth, before you kind of see him do things and see his thought process, you think, okay, he seems like a normal guy. And then how yeah. he portrays it is what kind of creeps you out and unsettles you but yeah with dinner's right off the bat you just already feel uneasy because yeah. he kind of like you said Absolutely. that laughable kind of cartoonish level that he hits is just a little too much and i liked the subtleties of mitchum's portrayal much better i think you, br- you brought up the fact that uh sideshow bob in the simpsons uh does uh does De Niro's version of Katie. Yeah, essentially. Uh, there's a reason he does De Niro's version of Katie in a cartoon <laughs> and not Mitchum's. But yes. that's also probably because everybody knows De Niro's knows, version yeah. as opposed to Mitchum's, yes. yes. Um, to finish us off, the end of the movie, like we said yes. before, um, the book, it's an accidental kill of, of, of Katie. Katie on on Bolden's part in Scorsese's version Nick Nolte bashes a rock over Robert De Niro's head causing him to drown into the river and um, I think he's like it, handcuffed to a part of the boat that's like yeah, floats out it's very elaborate yeah and that's where the title comes from Cape Fear it's this piece of water um and you know it's definitely set in like the Carolinas or something like that, with the way the uh, this particular river is, and like the river boats and all that. Yeah, kind with of the thing. river boats and the the trees and the little bit of a not quite full blown Florida swamp, but just a little bit of uh, like coastal whatever. south, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in the '62 version, it's completely changed to where, like we said before. Nice whole upstanding Gregory Peck. Yes, like um, Katie's uh, asking is... him, just go ahead and do it. Just go ahead and kill me. He's got the gun on him. I don't care yeah. anymore. And Bowden's like, no, you're going to rot in a cage. That's what you deserve. You said it yourself, all that whole thing. And he takes the moral. Because that, that is, that, to be fair. High ground of justice. <laughs> he does. He does. And to be fair, that is Katie's point. You know, that is Katie's point is to not do anything quickly and make people suffer. Yeah. And that was his point in both movies, both yeah. versions, to be fair. So it makes more sense to me that Bowden at that extent would want to, you know, make him suffer. 
Also, of course, it holds up to Gregory Peck's version Moral, character yeah, so much better. Character. Yeah. Him doing that and being fully into the law and justice and all that business. It just makes and more sense point, to me. And at that point, you'd be kind of be giving Katie what he wants because he knows, yeah. he, you know, he's, he's out for this revenge in the first place because he was locked up and it was so terrible. So yeah. why not do the thing to where you lock him up for life? And throw away the key, and because that's what he's trying—that's what he's out for revenge for in the first place. It's being locked up. So the worst yeah. thing you can do to him is putting him back in his cage. Exactly. So. Exactly. So that that just makes more sense to me. That just seems like, you know, better justice for me because it's really not what Katie wants to do. Katie would rather die than do that. Yeah. Um, and especially I like that they had him ask for it and say that he didn't care anymore. Like, just shoot me. And that kind of sets it up for you that, well, don't give him what he wants. And then he doesn't. So I like that yeah. they had him kind of express, oh, you know, I don't care anymore. Bowden, just kill me. But no, Bowden's not going to. And it fits all of the things that were kind of set up with that character. Yeah. Yes. So I, I think I prefer the 62 version to the 91 version. Yes. The 91 version is a great film. It is. Uh, but, you know, there were some great shots. Like, I like the shot of him kind of looking at the blood on his hands and that kind yeah. of. Yeah. No, the, the, there is. Shot great, from the ground looking things. up at him. There were some great visuals and great performances. And I like that there's kind of more character to some of the other characters in the 62 version that didn't really get much to do but yeah. i think just how it's shot and the performances uh, and the ending um just kind of that they had those limitations and they were still able to convey that unnerving feeling to you and kind of give you the sense of what they were talking about and these darker issues without outright saying things like the struggle they probably had to deal with to convey those things clearly without directly saying them, um, which they did very well is a testament to the performances and the filmmaking of that movie. So yeah. I think I definitely prefer the 62 version. It's subtle. It's simple and it's clearer. Yes. And it conveys it's, you know, it, it, results in a emotional sort of um, not struggle what am i trying to say it impacts you it impacts you emotionally yes. in a stronger and, way i think than and I, um than scorsese and like you said i feel like yeah. the, this katie feels more like a real person so yeah. he feels more because he's like a real person if he feels real to you the things the creepy things he's doing is just more terrifying as opposed to like somebody who's obviously evil and cartoonish and kind of brash about it so um yeah there we go janine <laughs> there we go now i know this entire episode was a deja vu but i still <laughs> want to sing the song okay go for it deja vu deja vu deja vu deja vu yay this whole episode has been a deja vu yay <laughs> that was a bit of an extra bit of an extra thing. Yeah, There's been a lot so today. I've tried doing a Gregory Peck impression. Yes, I think we've that didn't been extra as per usual. <laughs> well, yes, I'm sure we have. Um but no, 
I, you know, if you, for some reason, if you feel like watching a bit of a tough movie but want to see some great performances and just a, a movie that just really works on all fronts and has this just very clear, uh, clear message to it and just these subtle little, subtle little ways about it and great and score clear character and motivations everything and some great shots and cape fear 1962 go yeah. for it go and do it watch it if you've only seen the de niro one i think it's a great you know it, it'll be great to go back and, and see how different this one is and maybe you re you turn up like me and janine and end up weirdly preferring it yeah even though it's not scorsese and de niro <laughs> Which seems weird to say. Yes. It's like if Gregory Peck did Taxi Driver, that wouldn't work at all. <laughs> Taxi yeah, Driver is a 70s movie for a reason. <laughs> um, yes, there we go. Janine, it's been another episode of It's a Wonderful Podcast. It has. It's been episode 80, a nice round <laughs> number. Uh, the twenty more to go to the big three digits. Ooh. I know it's still a, I know it's still a while off, but you know. Are we gonna do something special? And who lands on that? Me or Nolan? I don't know. That's too long. <laughs> that's too. That's too many episodes away. We'll probably do. We'll probably do something extra special. Yay. I would. I would assume for okay. that particular. Because uh, that is that. That's a big that's deal. That's a, a big, big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there we go. Uh, Janine, let's uh, let's start with uh, start with you and the and the uh, the plugs, the what's going on, the the whatevers, the whatevers. I don't know. I've lost all the plot <laughs> because I'm just thinking about how bad my Gregory Peck impression was. Oh, no, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. Um, but you can find me at Janine DeBean on Twitter and Instagram. You can check out my show on this very feed, Machine Mondays, where I talk about various Schmodown-related topics. Uh, this week, I talked about um, the my love of inner geekdom this season and the match between Brandon the Hitman Hannah and Chandra the Chosen Don Dapani. So check that out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you can check out my tea shop and get some fun It's a Wonderful Podcast merch uh, at uh, G9Design on tpublic.com. You can join my Patreon at JanineLC on patreon.com. And you can see me compete in the team's tournament on the Movie Trivia Showdown with my awesome partner, Ethan Irwin. Uh, so check out the Movie Trivia Showdown YouTube channel. Like, share, and subscribe. Machine Mondays is, of course, not the only place you can find Janine no. on this podcast feed. <laughs> we also, um, that is, of course, every Monday, where it is just Janine talking about Schmodown-related things. Uh, every Wednesday, we, of course, have Morgan Hasn't Seen, which is always us two, um, <laughs> talking about movies that I haven't seen. Um, and it's always very fun, because yes. we, uh, we, we just finished up our final destination series and uh, uh next week we completely finish spooky season on the show on next week's morgan hasn't seen when we'll be talking idle hands yes the the weird stoner 
half comedy horror movie from the late 90s with Seth Green. So yes, um, if you didn't want Halloween to end, you get it for yes. one more week on Morgan Hasn't Seen. You do, because Halloween <laughs> was yesterday, and um, we're all very sad. But yes. ultimately, <laughs> every day's Halloween in my mind, so <laughs> let's go and watch more Gregory Peck movies. <laughs> Just the Omen, over and over again. It's the best movie, though. It really is. He's into Satanism and he's single, ladies. <laughs> I'm into the omen. It's different. Whatever. You seem to be a very big fan of that Satan roller coaster that we discussed. On yes, I was a bit, I was a very Final big fan. Yes. yes, I was. Yes, I was a big fan of that. I was a big fan of that. But yes, that is what we've been doing over and Morgan hasn't seen. That's every Wednesday. You, of course, have this show, the main show. It's a wonderful podcast every Friday. And you can find the feed on Anchor, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on CastBox, on Google Podcasts, and a whole bunch of others, of course. It is everywhere, Janine. It is everywhere, and if it is not everywhere, then we have a problem, and it needs to be everywhere. Mm-hmm. There's some sort of everywhere. serious, some sort of serious issue. Um, but yes, you can also, of course, follow the show on Twitter, and it's a wonderful one to see the updates of all, uh, all the three shows we have on this feed. Follow me on Twitter at the Purple Dawn with the three instead of the E in the because Jenny. Three is the magic number. Or on Instagram at just the purple dom. That is going to do it for another episode of the main show of It's a Wonderful Podcast. We've been talking Cape Fear 1962 and also quite a lot of Cape Fear 1991, <laughs> but that's not going to be in the title because we have, you know, we have a theme to hold up here. We only talk about old movies on this show, but yes, you we know, didn't break today the for some <laughs> today for some reason we we extended deja vu and well that's just wonderful thing and I'm technically not a satanist. <laughs> technically, and you said wonderful again. <laughs> I did say wonderful again because it is the only word I know. I, I it rolls off the tongue nicely. I don't know what you want from me. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now you're doing impressions of me. I'm doing impressions of Gregory Peck. It's all going wrong. There's only one thing left to do. Do you count us down? Three, two, one. Bye. Bye. In the name of God, do your duty.